Good morning. Psalm 34. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And how many of you know that Jesus is good this morning? Like Jesus is good. I'm sure that there are countless testimonies in this room of how good God has been unto us. And today what I want us to do is I just want us to lean back into the very mercy and grace and goodness of Jesus. Amen. And let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you love us. And Jesus, you are good. And we have gathered because of you and your goodness. Father, we, we don't gather for a good service. And we don't gather for a good sermon. Father, our gathering apart from a good Savior means nothing. And so we pray that you would come and speak and Jesus have your way with us by the power of your spirit. And I pray that you would do what only you can do as your people agree in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, um, we're going to talk about the goodness of God. And I think that's Paul's thrust in his passage as we close chapter 5 of Galatians. But to do it, I want to I help paint a picture. I think this picture is the tone behind Paul's message. And so if you need to close your eyes to get uh, into your mind's eye to see this, it helps you imagine, that's fine, feel free to do that. But if you want to, otherwise follow me. So I want you to imagine a toddler, two, three years old, boy or girl, doesn't really matter, but a toddler standing in front of a vast field. And that vast field is so vast that they can't see the end of that field. And that field is beautifully manicured. It has been taken care of, it's lush, it's green, and it is all before them. And in this field, that toddler has no hazard to to worry about. There's no natural hazard. There's no stone that they're going to trip over. There's no hole that they can trip in. There's no water in this field. So like, there's no hint of them tripping and even going face down in a puddle and potentially drowning. There's absolutely no natural hazard for them to be afraid of. There's also no poisonous insect, there's no poisonous reptile, there's no carnivorous animal hunting them. There's nothing in this field that can harm them or bring them death. There's no risk. They just have complete freedom to walk into this field and enjoy and play and rest and be curious like toddlers are, right? Okay, now immediately behind that toddler just steps away is a bustling highway, a frenzy of activity from Prius to semi-truck whizzing by at high rates. And the larger the vehicle, the larger the wind or drag behind that vehicle, which is knocking the toddler over, teetering, causing them to stumble. And if they stumble in the wrong way, they stumble into the highway, into the interstate, and they stumble to their potential death, likely death. You see, Paul is talking to his children. And how many of you are are parents and have that parental thing rise up with you when you see this image in your mind? You go, just run into the field. Like, just get away from what's harmful for you. Like, Like, all the children just run into the field, explore and do what toddlers do, but get as far away and distance yourself from that which can hurt you, harm you, potentially kill you. Anyone feel that way? You go, just go. Paul is speaking to his spiritual children 
as he talks about don't fall back into grace, stand firm in the atoning work of Jesus. Jesus paid for this field. In fact, his blood put up a barrier between you and the sting of death. That's not even a problem anymore. So he is literally securing you in this field. So go into this field and find rest, find joy, find peace. Enjoy it. Stand firm in his atoning work and stop falling into the trappings as the Judaizers are telling you to, to look backwards and fall in the trap of trusting your own work. For the Christian, that means Trusting your own way, trusting that somehow you outperform the cross, trusting your own religious works, and all that does is rob you of the joy of your salvation. You have a field that he paid for. Go and enjoy. But for the non-believer, and this is the ministry part that he's talking to the Galatians about, he says, look, anyone who doesn't know Jesus yet stands there in this tension, stands there, and they have a field before them, but they keep teetering backwards. And death is imminent for them. So I don't want them to fall away from grace. I want us to understand that one thing and one thing alone, he's the way, the truth, the life, leads to life, joy, and abundance. It's Jesus and what he's done for us. The other leads to heavy bondage, guilt, accusation, and death. (laughs) This is the tension that exists in the garden. You can eat of any tree. Any tree here, just eat of any one, have, have your fill, have fun. There's no poison, no death, just have your fun. Just stay away from this one over here. This one is harmful for you. Stay away from this one thing that can take your life. And see, when a, when a child stand, when Adam and Eve are standing in the garden, it's like us today standing in that field or the child standing in that field. And how many of you know, because of our curiosity, when we have whizzing semis going back behind us, we want to look. You know what I'm saying? We want, when we feel the power of that, we want to, what was that? Well, I used to coach Little League for four and five-year-olds. If you want something to test your patience, try that. My, the field I coached on had a right field, and behind it was a massive train trellis, and it never failed. Every time we're out there, train goes whizzing by every single kid, pitcher, <laughs> just mesmerized. And that's what happened in the garden. He said, eat of anything you want. And I don't understand perfect love. Like, I don't understand Jesus' love. We're going to have great conversation about this when I'm with him in eternity. I don't understand someone who creates you in his image and gives you bounty, okay? But then doesn't demand your love in return. He gives you the choice to choose to love him back. And knowing that, the enemy, the accuser, God's not the accuser, the devil is the accuser, comes along and he says, what, what is it that's so special about this tree over here? Like, why would God withhold from you? If God's so good, why would he withhold from you? I think that God is afraid that you're going to have the same power he does. Why would God do that to you? Why, would, why is God afraid of you getting power? Why would he keep this tree and its fruit from you? What's so special about this fruit? Surely you won't die. And just speaks enticement. And that enticement was too much. It's like, it's like mom looking at us and, the, and as our hand is reaching up for the burning stove. They go, don't touch that stove. Can I ask you something? How many of you were this kid? How many of you were this kid? How many of you can't think of anything but the stove now? <laughs> right? That's what we're talking about. We become obsessed with the thing that's harmful for us, dangerous for us. And so... While Jesus was trying to keep us in freedom and in joy, 
the enemy came along and made us obsessed with the thing that was harmful for us because we don't like to be told in our flesh what we can and cannot do. And this is the tension that we're about to look at in Galatians 5 as we close this chapter. The t- today's message is called His Way or Our Own. Are you going to choose His Way or Yours? And Paul's saying in Jesus, in Him, this isn't Burger King. You don't have it your way. You can't have it your way. You can have freedom. You can have purpose. You can have fulfillment. You can have abundance. But you did nothing to pay for this field. I did. The cost and call of discipleship is death to self and personal agenda. The benefit is life eternal and bounty. But we cannot serve two masters. Jesus said that in Matthew 6. You can't serve me and yourself. So you can't be my disciple unless you daily take up your cross and come after me. This means putting to death your desires, and your competing agendas for my namesake. What he's saying is, if you want to enjoy it, enjoy it wholly. There is no taking a partial pill. you got to swallow the whole thing. Come after me. There's no holding on. You let go of that life and walk in new life. Stop looking back. Do not be tempted to look back, no matter how big or how loud or how enticing it might be. That road leads to death, either eternal and abundant, or for the Christian, death to your joy and your ministry. So when we study the Bible, I want to encourage you, I want to give you some tools today. When we study the Bible, we ask a few questions. We ask some questions to help us dialogue with the study inductively. This is what I do all the time, and I want to encourage you. This is how I study. We open the Bible to learn not not to get something for ourselves. We open the Bible to learn about God and his very character, who he is. So the first question I always ask when I open the scripture after praying is, what does this passage reveal about God? What does this scripture imply about him? I'm coming to here to see who he is. And I want to know his character. I want to know his heart. I'm coming to see it. The second question is important too, because in every passage, you're going to see it reveal something about me, about mankind. And so the set, James said it like this, the scriptures to serve as a mirror. It's to show you his heart and conversely show you your own tendencies. So if we're as the church of Jesus going to bear image of his, of his likeness, then we have to stop looking like our old selves and start looking like him. And so he says, what does this passage imply about mankind? We got to learn who is God and who are we? Thirdly, What is the promise that we're to hold on to here? What's the promise we can trust? How many know God's a promise giver? How many know he's a promise keeper? Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That's a promise that you can cling to and hold to. He's not broken a promise yet. When we open the scriptures, we got to look and see, is there a promise that God intended for our good that we can hold to? And then third, fourthly, and lastly, and this is the one that I want us to focus on today as we open today's text. I want you to seek it. You're going to find all these questions answered in this text. But this last one, this is the key to unlocking the whole thing. And I want, I want you to know to look for it. The fourth question is, what command am I to obey in this text? God wants us to walk in his way, in his likeness, in his will. He wants us to bear his image. So that means that we don't do that naturally. And so he's instructing us on how to walk as he would versus walk as we would. And so we need to be able to look. Is there, a, is there not just him and me? Is there not just something to hold to? Is there a command he's trying to instruct me to walk in that looks like his likeness? It's our primary command to obey. And 
the primary command I want you to find in this passage today, I want you to listen to it as I read it now. It's Galatians 5, 13, 26. 13 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. There's your field. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping the one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other by choosing your own flesh, your own way. Verse 16. So I say, walk by or submit to the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's in the scripture. What he's trying to say here is this. This is what we are apart from Jesus. The psalmist said he sought the earth and he found no one righteous, no, not one. Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler, Mark 10, he said there was no one good but God because this is what naturally comes out of us. He said a bad tree can't produce good fruit. You're not going to find an orange on an apple tree. That's just not going to happen. And so apart from Jesus, this is all we do. This is what we naturally do. And he said, it comes out of you. How many of you, how many of you didn't have to be trained to be jealous? No one taught you to be envious. So reading on, verse 22, he said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So in all of that, did you see the command? It is tempting to look at the command that says, love your neighbor as yourself, and say, well, there's the command. But here's the thing. What was the, fruit of, what was the first thing listed as the fruit of the Spirit? It was love. And James said that you cannot love if you do not know God. If you don't know God and you say you love, you're a liar because there's no ability to love in you. You love yourself and you love to seek self. But when we submit to his spirit, we can bear fruit of his unconditional love in others, lift their needs above our own. We can actually lift other people and make it about, we can actually live the second commandment and love them the way that he did because he sacrificed himself for us we have an image that we can bear and we can do the same only by submitting to his spirit. So that's not the command today. The command today is the only point today. It's the only thing he asks us to do in this passage. And it's right here. It says, submit to and walk by his spirit. Submit to and walk by the spirit. When we do that, the fruit of the spirit comes out of us as a byproduct. But apart from this decision, we submit to our own flesh every single time. We choose our own way every time if we are not conscious and convicted to choose his. It's because of the garden. Because of the garden, 
in the fall of humanity, the fruit of flesh is just in us. Again, how many people had to be taught how to fight for yourself? No, how many of you, how many of you were reaching for the hot stove and didn't even know why? Mommy said no, but I just can't stop myself. There's this rebellious tendency within us. We didn't have to be taught it. But I want to tell you what Paul's trying to say here is that you also cannot tame it. The Judaizers were coming in and trying to teach them. They were trying to tell them, yes, okay, so you have a rebellious flesh. And the Judaizers' answer to that was to prescribe religious activity to the Galatians. His answer, their answer was the law. So you can't be taught your your fleshly fruit and you can't tame that either. But the answer from the Judaizer was to prescribe a non-saving, insurmountable list of moral do's and don'ts. And heap that, listen, take the weight of that thing over 600 some odd laws and place that on top of an already people who are guilty of sin. The daunting list of insatiable desires that Paul just walked us through. Can I ask you, how heavy is that? Like that was their answer, was like, just try harder. And when Jesus goes, just run into the field. Like, have fun. Enjoy this. The answer isn't religion. The answer is relief. Amen? And it's in Jesus alone by submitting to his spirit. We have to submit to his spirit. For me, that comes not just daily. That comes hourly. That comes minutely in every conversation, in every interaction. If we are the people of God, we have to be submitting ourselves continually before him, renewing our mind. We were created to worship. But we weren't created to worship ourselves. We were created to worship him. So we worship him by submitting to his way. And that goes beyond, listen, that goes beyond gathering once a week in a worship service. That's in how we eat every single day. That's in how we think every single day about ourselves and about others and how we think about God. That's how we choose to speak and behave with other people every day. It's in everything we do at all times and everything we choose we got a choice to choose him or our own way. He says, walk in new life or you can walk yourself backwards. Paul also said in Romans 7, 15, this is incredibly hard. It's really easy to say, incredibly difficult to do. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do everything that I hate. It's a constant struggle in my flesh. Anyone identify with what Paul's saying? No one had to teach me to choose my way. No one had to teach you, teach us to choose our way. It was innate in us from birth. That's the sin problem, the rebellious heart against the Lord. We don't want to be told what we can and cannot do. You don't have to train me to choose me. That's already automatic. Do you hear Paul saying that? He's going, you don't have to be trained to choose yourself, Galatians. You're going to do it. But choosing him and his way is new life. And it's the only way that you find a new walk. It is this field that he's talking about that Jesus paid for. And it's only accepted and done by denying yourself. The flesh and the spirit are constantly warring against each other. It's going to be within us until Jesus comes to take his church home. And how many of you are anticipating that day? We cannot become. Listen, I want to give you, I want to let you off the hook. Here's the weight coming off. We cannot become more loving more kind, more patient in our own power. We do not have to try harder to do these things. That's not what this passage is saying. He didn't say work on it. He said submit to the Spirit and this stuff will come out of you. His Spirit's desire and His leading us will 
force fruit out of us that is good. A good tree can only bear good fruit. So if we submit to his spirit continually, every minute of every day, then only a byproduct of his presence and power within us comes forth in us and shows people that we trust a good Savior and his love is their hope. Amen? Our natural fruit, I'll say it again as a reminder, our natural fruit of self, is a self-seeking heart. It's that nasty, disgusting list that Paul just read to us. It hurts us and it hurts others and it breaks relationships. How many of you have had broken relationships because you chose the flesh? You chose self. You chose to fight for yourself in a moment and no one had to teach you to do it. You just did it. It's like, man, I need respect. And you fought in that severed relationship. Tim Keller says it like this. If you're a Christian and you're dealing with enslaving habits, it's not enough to say, bad Christian, stop it. And it's not enough to beat yourself up or merely try harder and harder and harder. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin or religious practices, legalism, list of moral do's and don'ts, my insertion is worship. You need worship. You need worship of him. You need great worship of him. And this needs to be happening all of the time, every minute of every day. It's what we were made to do, everyone. It's what we were born into existence for. It's why he dreamt us into existence. The chief end of man is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. It's to worship him. That's what the Westminster Confession says. It's our very purpose. And John Avant says it like this. He says, you worship your way into an addiction by choosing yourself every time. You worship worship yourself and you're going to worship your way into an addiction when you choose yourself. But the only way that you can worship your way out of an addiction is by submitting to him in all things. So you worship your way into an addiction and you must worship your way out of an addiction. How many of you, that's good news for those who have battled with some addictions, amen? Maybe the addiction is simple as you just choosing yourself every time. So again, we have to seek him in the silence. We got to stop turning our attention to what is loud and like those toddlers turning to find the train. We got to stop turning to that which is harmful and looking backwards, falling away from the grace of the field, the standing firm in the power and the, the ability to joy God. Like enjoy him by looking at this stuff that's distracting us. It's loud and it wants our attention. It wants to take our attention from him. We, we can't seek him in the still when our lives are just chaotic and busy. How many of you are too busy? And how many of you have begun to allow busy to become your moniker as if it means you're important? And the reality is Jesus says, just come to me in the field and find rest. We have to submit to him in prayer. We got to yield our desires and our anxieties to him because he loves us. How many of you know that he has better for you? His way is better. How many of you trust that? You know that. So he says, come to me in prayer. Put it before me. Submit to my way for you. And when we see his image reveal himself in the scriptures, we see who God is when we open the scriptures because we said, I'm coming to here first to find out who he is, his very character, and what he desires. When we submit to that, and we see who he is, and we recognize who we're not, 
How many of you, how many of you find solace when God reveals himself to you in the scriptures and you see just how opposed you really are to who, how great he really is? How many of you are just slightly flawed? And he is perfect. And I find relief that I have the, the one who is perfect, his very power and his very presence indwelling me. And I get to choose that daily. So the question that we have today, as the band is making their way back, is this. The flesh and the spirit are opposed, and they always will be. So this morning, whom will you choose to serve? You or him? This scripture right here is telling us we need to stop lying to ourselves. What Paul's trying to remind us of here is we need to stop telling ourselves we're good, we're okay, I'm good. How many of you have ever shared the Lord with someone? You've shared the gospel with someone that said, no, I'm good. We need to stop telling ourselves what is contrary to what the scripture says. We're not good. There was one who was good, and that was Jesus. In him alone, he paid for the field and gave you the ability to run in and find joy. But church, how many of us are living under the weight of religious activity? Thus, we've lost the joy of our salvation. Hey, if you are in Christ and he has saved you, you know there was nothing you could do that I could, perform, could outperform what he did on the cross. And you are in Christ today. Listen, you have his very spirit indwelling you. The very power and presence of Jesus in you that gives you an ability to produce fruit that doesn't come from you naturally. And so today, I want you to be like that toddler and run to him. He paid for the field. Just enjoy it. Find rest. Find the ability to be curious about who he is and his very image and how you can bear more of it. Just find him right now in this room. Tell him, I'm sorry for looking back. Tell him, I'm sorry for falling from the grace that paid for it all. I want to stand firm in what you've done. I want to stop relying on what I can do. That's too heavy. And it never saved. This morning, maybe you're in here. And you don't know. You don't know the Lord. And I want to, I want to encourage you. Whether you're listening online or here in this room, there's something you need to hear from me. You have no ability to choose to submit to the Spirit if you've not trusted Jesus with your life and what he did for you on the cross. You're never going to do anything that's going to outperform what he has already done for you. And, and apart from accepting that, trusting that, placing your life in that, you can't even choose the Spirit. You're just going to continue to produce ugly flesh and the fruit thereof. That's who you are. Because that's who I was. That's who the people in this room who've given their life to Jesus were prior to what they trusted in him. And so I want to encourage you today, if you don't want that, that's not what you want. It can change right now today. And it's, it's the most important miracle that will ever happen in your life. Literally in a moment, move from death to life. But we got to stop lying to ourselves. We've got to stop telling ourselves we're okay. We're good. Jerry Bridges said it like this. You have to preach yourself the gospel every day. You have to preach to yourself the truth minute by minute. And the minute was, the truth was this. You preach the gospel to yourself because it was about his work and not your own. So here's what I want to do. We're going to try it right now. I'm going to try to preach in a, in a sentence the truth to myself. Will you do this with me? This is Yes. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to stand. 
We're going to share the truth of the gospel with ourselves. If you're in this room and you go, I need Jesus, I need to trust this truth. There are many of us here who would love to talk to you. Scott is here. I am here. We have prayer partners. We have elders available. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you're online, email us because you're about to hear the gospel. We'd love to step with you through the next steps of what it means to follow him. But for every single person in this room, you're responding to this statement. Close your eyes as I say this statement. He took my place. It should have been me. On the cross, he took my place. It should have been me. Jesus went to the cross with my sin, with my shame, and he took what I deserved. I still deserve the cross, but he took it away and removed the sting of death so I get to run freely into the field. And he put up a barrier between death and me. He took my place. It should have been me. Say that with me. He took my place. It should have been me. He took my place. It should have been me. Think on that. He took your place. It should have been you. He took my place. It should have been me. Church, say that over and over and over to yourself, not just in this moment, but every minute of every day. He took my place. It should have been me. Say it with me. It took my place. It should have been me. Jesus took my place. It should have been me. Thank you, Jesus. We respond to you right now as the band leads in your name, in your name alone.